I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Resource Real Talk About Real Estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. And I'm Jay Pitts. And uh, Jay, today we're going to talk about something that is relevant for almost every business professional, but especially for people in real estate. We're talking about time management, uh, creating the best schedule, and, and getting the most out of the hours you have available in the day. No, absolutely. I think that's a very, very impactful issue. And I find myself talking to agents a lot about it. You know, it plugs into other areas, you know, hot button topics, et cetera, work-life balance, you know, prioritization, you know, having healthy relationships, all that can kind of be traced back to your ability to manage your time and maybe block your time for certain activities. Yeah. And one of the things we talk about all the time, especially in this office, is that time is your most precious commodity, right? When you're talking about how you're spending the different resources you have, your time is the most important one to manage. So for some of our listeners that are listening, I feel like this is, it's so perfect that you and I are the two people talking about it because <laughs> we're going to have some listeners that are, for for the sake of our example, we'll say they are Jays who are very organized and down in the minute and live and die by their calendar. And then we'll have listeners that are Gabe's, which are a little more loose and freewheeling and take things as they come. So uh, it's something that I'm personally working on developing and that I'm sure you had to develop at at least one point. Are are we labeling? I I don't know if that counts as labeling. Is that what you just did? I'm labeling people like myself, so that's okay. I'm I'm incriminating myself at the same time. You labeled me too. Well, that's okay. I mean, do you not want to be labeled as the organized person at this table? I don't know. I think you're making the assumption that it was that was the positive example. I think you 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 did take on the maybe the the negative persona, which I don't necessarily agree. It's not necessarily negative, but I I've definitely seen over the past few years how more effectively managing my schedule has changed more than just my output in my business. It's like you said, it changes stuff at home. It changes stuff in all different parts of your life. So well, since you're the person that's the best to explain it, let me just ask you, since you are someone who I know has a rigorous schedule and tries to stick to the letter of your calendar, what does that do for your business and why is that even important? Well, it, it allows your output to be more robust it allows you it allows you to do more yeah than you expect you should be able to right uh, a negative potentially if you're too rigid it it causes some significant stress now it relieves stress by knowing what you should be doing at all times but then when things don't go as planned it provides a challenge, and that challenge creates stress. So what, you, what you're talking about is that what I think is probably the number one challenge that real estate agents in particular face. It's knowing what you should be doing, but having something else jump out right in front of the windshield and take your attention away. In real estate, there's constantly fires to put out. Your phone's constantly ringing. You have to be paying attention or you can miss something really important between deals and other agents, your clients. So what do you say to someone like that who maybe feels like if they are not available and ready to go at all times, then they're missing out on opportunities. 
I, I say welcome to real estate. The water <laughs> is warm. Yeah. No, I, it, look, we're presuming a, a, a certain amount of success, right? Okay, yeah. You know, su- success loosely defined as, you know, you having someone to work for, someone that is demanding of your time. Okay. Uh, and, and in order to need rigorous time management skills, you have to have your, – your, your time has to be in, in demand. Yeah. So, I mean, I also, on the flip side, Gabe, tell people that when you're new to the industry and you have time to trade, trade your time. Yeah, okay. You know, we talk about, you know, in speaking with a prospective buyer or seller, you know, it's about motivation and qualification, right? And motivation trumps qualification. We talk about that a lot, right? Right, right. Uh, But when you're a new agent and you don't have a perfect handle on that and you do have time to devote, you know, you lower the bar, so to speak. Like if this client, you know, is not willing to or can't express to me how qualified they are, but they they are clearly motivated, well, that's worth the risk in investing your time on them as a new agent. But 12, 24 months down the road when you're representing 30, 40, 50 clients per year, it may not be worth your your risk and your investment of time. Yeah. So we are we are – Speaking to the people that have had some success, sure. air quotes, if, if, if your time is in demand, you must know what its value is first. Um, you then need to know how you're actively spending it, and then you need to know what the optimal spend looks like. Sure. So how it's currently being spent and what optimization looks like. Okay, not trying to be, you know, too like fuzzy about this, but yeah, yeah. but but literally, literally, Gabe, you need to know if you should be spending your time running signs out to properties or door knocking the neighborhood. <laughs> I had to throw that. Out. I knew. I knew no, yeah. no. So you you do you need to be inputting your own listings? Do you need to be creating flyers? Do you need to be making phone calls? All these things are activities that are required to run a real estate practice. The the simple question is, what is the value of your time? And what is the value of the activity? And if the value of the activity is lower than the value on your time, then you shouldn't be doing it. And if it's greater, then you should be doing it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Very simple. And and that brings up another good point, too. It's like you said, we're talking to people who have reached an amount of success where it, you know, their schedule is full of things to do. One of the questions you hear from a lot of new agents is, you know, they don't need to be sold on time management. They know time management is important. They're just not sure how to fill the hours they have. You know, they'll, you know, devote time to prospecting because they know prospecting is important. And then they're kind of, they're looking for things to do, you know, and it's a struggle to manage their time when they aren't as busy. So the flip side of that coin then. Yeah, absolutely. Time management skills need to be applied to those that do have ample time. Right. It, I mean, it, it. it's no different. It's probably more integral, actually. I think it's like you said, though, the secret there is just knowing what to, what produces the most results. All right. So, so very simply put, there are $4 productive activities in real estate. Okay. $4 productive activities. If you had a pen and a piece of paper handy, you should probably write this down. You can list a house. You can sell a house. You can negotiate or you can prospect. Okay, so all four of those things turn into money is what you're saying. They turn into money. You know, uh, obviously, 
uh, selling or negotiating is a more immediate return on investment, right? Representing a buyer who's actively trying to buy a home and negotiating any sort of transaction leads to money in your bank account sooner than listing a home or prospecting. Um, you know, a listing may take three to six months to sell if depending on market conditions, whatever, but it's still valuable. Those four activities are the activities that a new agent should spend the bulk of their time on. And if they don't have a deal to negotiate, a listing to take, a contract to write, then they should be prospecting. There you go. That's how you get them. And that's how you get them. I, I, I talk to new agents ad nauseum about their fears and insecurities over what to put where on the contract. I got an idea. How about you worry about having somebody to write a contract for before you worry <laughs> about what to put in box 6F? Yeah. no, that's You follow me? Yeah, that's a good call. So, so prospect. Prospect your face off. And then when you have clients, somebody will show you how to fill in the blanks. Yeah. Trust me. Have somebody to write a contract for. That's how you need to spend your time. So think about the dollar productive activities first, but the most important one is prospecting. Okay. So – Let's circle back here. We, we, when we started this conversation, we talked about people who maybe don't have – they're not having problems right now finding dollars. They have deals coming to them, and they've, and they've reached some success already, but they're just disorganized. Or they're yeah. just really struggling to feel like they have everything in their grasp. You know, They feel like a lot of it's outside of their control. So yeah. what do you do if you're – doing, you're doing the right activities, but just every single day it seems like you need two extra hours – and at the end of the day, you can't even tell what you accomplished. You were run, run, running, and doesn't feel like anything got done. I mean, have you ever been there? I mean, I yeah. know I've been there. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm there perpetually. Okay. <laughs> like, regardless. Okay, so you, you know what the real challenge is? So um, I think the reference is you kind of feel like the Dutch boy with your finger in the dam. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, you plug one hole and another one springs. Yeah. Like, uh, or, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, trying to – bail water out of a sinking boat yeah, right? yeah like like there's just kind of despair that that sinks in when you have more required of you than you're capable of giving mm -hmm. okay and there's only so much efficiency that you can wring out of the situation so very very simply put gabe every time i've ever made an improvement in my business in any way shape or form whether it be time management lead gen skill set you know whatever whatever yeah. i do better it leads to more business. Okay. And more business leads to more time needed. Sure. More so challenge. It's a circle. <laughs> it's a circle. It's an endless loop. Okay. So maybe um, we, sh we should let our listeners know that we're not about to sell them the one solution to the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I can't solve this problem for you, but what I can do is I can illustrate the problem. I can, I can sell you a solution. Okay. I can sell you a solution. It's not even sales. It's very simple. Okay. Um, Decide how much is enough and stop there. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, so I'll give you, let's be more specific. You know, when I find myself out of time, I first look at how efficiently I'm using my time. Okay. That speaks to my plan. It speaks to my morning routine. We've talked about it a little bit. Right. It speaks to, you know, where I spend my time. Okay. What should I not be doing? What activities am I doing that, the value of or below the value of my time. Okay. Makes gotcha. sense? Yeah. So hypothetically, um, inputting a listing, 
inputting a listing is a duty that I could hire someone to do at X dollars per hour. Okay, true. Okay, and if I look at that X dollars per hour and I look at my earnings per hour, my earnings per hour is sufficiently or significantly above what I could pay someone to do that for. So that tells me I shouldn't be inputting listings. Okay. All right, so I eliminate those activities. I leverage those activities. I hire people to to, to take those activities off my plate. But what ends up happening is... If I hire the right people, they do a better job of it than I do. They add value to the process and my and my biz and I acquire more business because of it. Yeah. So there goes the loop yeah. again, right? So where that stops, that that continual leveling up, where that stops is you the the, the last link in the chain. Okay. Deciding when is it enough and stopping there. So so I had a conversation yesterday with a, fan, a phenomenal agent, a phenomenal agent that listens to this podcast. And, and if you're listening now, don't worry. I'm not going to reveal your identity. <laughs> but the point was this person wants balance in their life. Sure. Okay. okay. They want balance in their life. They have a phenomenal business. They do, you know, half a million dollars a year in commissions. Okay. And they said to me, the people I care about, they talk to me. It takes me 30 seconds to even realize, 30 seconds of the conversation, one-to-one communication again. Okay. It takes me 30 seconds into the, into the conversation to realize that I'm not even paying attention. Hmm. And it kills me because these people deserve my time. They deserve my attention. And I said, why is that? I said, my head's always in another place. Yeah. I mean, it's not a function of being a bad listener or, you know, absent in your relationships. It's just being so busy and so consumed with... It's overwhelmed. Yeah. Is what it is. And it is absent in your relationships, frankly. Well, as as a result, maybe, yeah. As a result. You don't intend to be. Sure. I mean, this person has the purest of intentions. Like, and, and success has created problems. Yeah. And I, so I say to this person... How many hours do you work a week? And let's just hypothetically say that that's 60 hours per week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Gabe, quick math for me. What is, uh, what's 20% of 60 hours? Uh, 12 hours. So 20% of 60 hours is 12 hours. Gotcha. Okay. So if this person were to make a linear cut in time invested, could we expect a linear drop in revenue generated or income in a perfect world. Yeah. I mean, I would think so. so. I mean, wouldn't you think, I mean, if they, their time is worth X and they cut X number of hours, then they lose X or they lose Y income. That makes sense. Commensurate to the value. Yeah. So 60 hours per week, if you cut 20% of the time invested, that takes you down to 48 hours. Okay. If you make $500,000 a year and you cut 20% of your income, that takes you to $400,000. Okay. Yeah. And I said to this person, what can you do in your life with $500,000 a year that you can't do with four hundred? That's an interesting question. It's like you said, stopping when you've hit enough, which has got to be a challenge for really ambitious people. That's what I was going to ask you. You know, about, type yeah. A people that are achievers, it's, it's very challenging. But let me, finish, let, me, let me finish the story. Okay, go ahead. And it's, and it's the next question after nothing. The answer was nothing. Mm-hmm. I, there's nothing. I mean, yeah, there's obviously things that you can do with an extra hundred grand. But like the way this person lives their life, four hundred is enough. Yeah, the difference wasn't hinging on between four. Like they live a they live they they live a, a fun life, but you know they're not you know flying private jets all over the place. Like I mean they're they're putting their kids through school. They're 
you know, right. saving for the future. They're investing. They're you know putting money into their business. They're taking a few vacations, but they're working hard. And and I said to them, so okay, so there's nothing material going to change with 400 versus 500. But what materially changes when you cut back from 60 to 48 hours? What are you going to do? You work on average six days per week Mm -hmm. as a realtor. That's what this person does. What changes with an extra two hours a day? That you you could commit to anything else. That you could commit to anything. You could commit to your kids, commit to your spouse, commit to your your health, your vitality, your well-being, your mental peace of mind and sanity. Sleep, for God's sakes. Yeah. Instead of sleeping five hours a day, sleep six. Like, what can you do with 12 hours? And that's just a 20% cut. And, and I got, I'll take it one better for you. The next thing I say to this person is, what's your average sales price? Well, the answer was, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and so we figured it out. All it was, over the place, probably. It was 200000 was the average okay. for this person. And I say, I'm really going to blow your mind. What's 20% of 200000 It's forty grand. Okay, add forty grand. Go to two forty. Go to two forty from two hundred. Only work forty hours, forty eight hours a week, and you'll still make five hundred instead of four hundred. You made your money back. You made your money back. You cut your time, and you made your money back. Easier said than done, but I mean, there's there's methods to raise your average sales price. You prospect different ways, but I mean, you can say it's easier said than done, Gabe, and of course it's easier said than done. But is it really hard? Is it difficult? Like that's a linear jump to me. Like I can I can give you six steps to raise your average sales price forty grand in the next twelve months, and then twelve months for the next twelve years of your life, you know, so that you can gain back twenty percent of your time. You you know take twenty percent of your work time and make it off time. Make it time that you can actually listen to your kids when they speak Mm -hmm. because you're not crazy, (laughs) right? Like I, I mean, dude, I've been there. Yeah, I know. I've been there and I've had a wake up call. And I'm not trying to go there like my wife came in just before we started recording this episode, you know, and we joked about her being an episode, you know, her her being a guest on the podcast and telling you guys how full of it I am. <laughs> but the truth is, is I struggle with all these things. Like you 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 couch me as an expert, which is lovely. I I appreciate that. You know what you know what an expert is? If that's a, if I'm an expert, what an expert is is someone that struggled with is it. Is someone that pays attention to it. Yeah. Someone that struggled with it that had real life consequences to not having the answers and figured out a way. Cause I had no choice. Yeah. Like no joke, no choice, like rock hard place, figure it out or spend the next 30 years of your life alone. Well, that's how you become an expert. So, yeah. I mean, so anyway, I, we are speaking to the people that have had success. Yeah. Okay. We, you know, there, there are points to be taken for those who haven't yet experienced it. Okay. But the truth is, is those of you that haven't yet experienced this, you need to be listening because this is what success looks like. Yeah. It looks like hardship. It looks like challenge. It looks like problems you never expected to have because you can make your mortgage payment for the next year with your savings account. But you need to spend the next 30 seconds one-on-one paying attention to your kids because they don't give – there's going to become a time if you don't. They'll, they'll just stop talking to you. Hmm. Like, I had my, he wasn't five then. I might, he was four. I'm sitting on the edge of my couch, staring at my cell phone on a Saturday afternoon, texting, probably texting a lead. You okay? Yeah. And he walks up and slaps the phone out of my hand. Have I told you that story before? I ha- yeah, you have. 
Like, and my kid, he he is well, he's pretty well mannered. Like, he didn't do stuff like that, but he was he was fed up. The message was clear, is what like, I'm saying. Like, daddy, off the phone. Hmm. From so, from your four year old son. From my four year old. Yeah. Like, I was like, wow. Yeah, I can cut by twenty percent. I can cut my twenty percent. Yeah. So that, or I can raise my sales price. Yeah, or <laughs> or both. Yeah. There's my type A man. So. We, we talked about how you can cut back this time, but a lot of people are like, okay, I want to cut back the time. How? Okay, like my schedule is packed, like to the brim, sun up, sun down. I'm going, going, going. So where are you finding this time? You know, how, like, how do you even cut out 20%? I'd love to, but I can't. What, what is the method to get there? Well, I've got a very lovely concept for you. Okay. Say no thanks. Interesting. So say, saying no, right? Yeah. Which is something that I struggle with, but of course. you know, and it's even harder for people who have a lot of people requesting their time. So it's extremely hard. You think you're going to let somebody down? You like play out this? Yeah. What was it? What was it? Um, what was it? Like, like there is uh, literally like six steps or six thoughts or six outcomes or six assumptions, something like that six between something. between where you sit and the thought of death and dying. Have you ever heard that before? No, no. Like literally, um, I don't know. I probably am going to butcher this, but it's like, uh, Gabe, if I get up and leave this table before I should, and I walk out in the hall and I stub my toe and then I stub my toe so I can't walk well. So then I'm out in the parking lot and I may be focused on my toe and I may get in my car and drive. And you know, anyway, point, point being is, I find myself in a life-threatening situation chain as a result of, of seven chain, yeah, seven links in the chain. Okay. And like the human brain can go from complete safety and security to death and dying in like a relatively short time it's a span. Very scary thought. And, and so all I'm saying is, is like it's very similar when you say no to someone. And I told you I was going to butcher that, <laughs> but. It's very similar when you say no to someone, like literally me saying no to an overpriced listing um, with a difficult seller is going to, in six steps or less, result in bankruptcy. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Because there, you think, well, so-and-so knows so-and-so, and if they tell them that I said no, and then they're going to think that I'm you know, ungrateful, and I don't appreciate it, and they're going to take their business elsewhere, and they know so-and-so, and and then it's going to spiderweb into my business collapsing. Yeah. The truth is, you're a human being. You can only do what you can do. And while I struggle with this, you got to learn how to say no. Yeah. The first thing you say no to is not going on a showing and wasting two hours of your time with an unqualified buyer. No, that's that's an important one. You're pre-approved or... You come to the office and we do a consultation and talk to a lender first. Yeah, and some people will say, well, I can't afford to turn down opportunities because I'm the first person. I'm the person with time to spare, and I need a deal so I can be negotiating or writing a contract or et cetera. But the truth is, are you really going to write a contract with an unqualified buyer on the very first showing? And the answer is no. Gabe, remember earlier on in your career where um, we placed a ton of emphasis on the number of appointments you set? Right. Okay. And it led you to set appointments because that was the metric. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, set appointments with people, and that did you defined it as success. And it didn't matter if those appointments, like in your in your brain when you did it, it didn't matter that they could or would ever turn to a transaction. Yeah, if I got someone to commit to meeting with me, it was success. I won. You won. It was over. Like like ring the bell. Like literally, we had a bell. Yeah, we like did. literally <laughs> ring the bell for bell of success and go on about your merry way. But like you can't you can't deposit that bell in your bank account. Nope. Like. So you learn the difference between lead and lag measures, and that's that's a whole other topic. But my point is, um, when you are successful, you have to go back and you have to value the activities versus ver- and weigh it against the value of your time. And to bring it all home for me at that time, in the example you're talking about, this was long before I'd ever put a dollar value on my time. You know, and if I was to put a dollar value on my time, then it would not have been very high because to me. The most valuable thing I could do was create opportunities to get in my car and go meet people at houses. The more houses I was showing, the better I yeah. was doing. And if they were bad showings, whatever. I was, you know, I just we, needed to get in front of people as much as possible. You took good advice too literally. Yeah. Is all it was. It was good advice. Get in front of people. That's great advice to a young no, new salesperson. I mean, and you could say that, yeah, I gained some skills off of that. And it, was, it wasn't a complete waste of time. But it didn't turn into dollars right away. No. Because my time would have been spent more valuably if I was setting appointments that mattered instead of setting anything I could get my hands on and then driving 30 minutes to meet someone that wasn't actually interested in exactly. purchasing a house. Every bad showing you took that cost you an hour, you should have spent an hour trying to find a better appointment. True. And, you know, it's hard to explain that to somebody who's brand new. Yeah. It's hard to explain it. Like, you want to do stuff. You Jump wanna... and run is the prevailing mentality of the new agent. Yeah. At and, least it was for me. Well, and and what, what do we say? We say that you sell what you can, right? You sell what you have. You have to be authentic, and you have to sell what you can. So what do you sell? You sell availability sometimes as a new agent. Yeah. You know, not credibility, not not resume. Yeah, not, not experience. Not, not past success or experience. You don't have those things to sell. It's inauthentic to try. Now, you can sell your team's experience, and you can leverage, but you can't own it. No. It's disingenuous if you own, own that success. Yeah. Like, you have to say, I'm a new agent. I got a lot of time for you. I'm a phone call away from a bunch of rock star agents. I can get any answer you need. And you, you need any question you need answered, I can get you the answer. And I'm going to work harder for you than anybody else. And all those things are true and authentic. But you can't say I've sold a million houses because you haven't. Yeah, and the flip side of that is, and that's exactly what we talked about when I first started way back when. That's what I would tell people when I needed to sell them on working with me. It was no one's going to be able to devote more one-on-one time to you than I am. Because while I haven't sold 100 houses in the past year, I have more time than any other agent to focus specifically on what you want. And it worked, and I did get a lot of business. But the problem is, and this goes back to everything we're talking about, that model is not sustainable. Once you start to really achieve success, you can't have your phone on at 9 o'clock. You can't have your phone on at the dinner table. You can't be jumping and running for any showing that calls uh, when you have other things that require your time. So at some point, if you start that way, you have to at least have an exit plan or be working on one when your time becomes more valuable and, and move into a different kind of schedule because you just can't stay that way forever. I, I, I see this as a very simple thing, Gabe. And, and you know, it, it always, as most things do, come back, comes back to value. And, you know, I think, I, think we, I think another big problem is is that we operate emotionally. We operate out of our subconscious you know, rather than our conscious mind. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm sorry if that's a little, 
like fuzzy and like out there of an idea. But the truth is, is your subconscious will get you to do things that you know you shouldn't do because they're either easy or because comfortable because they're comfortable or because you're scared. You know, I mean, it's not easy for an agent that makes $500,000 a year to make the conscious choice to make 400,000. Yeah. That's not a popular or conventional idea, but in her conscious mind, that person knows that it would be a good decision for for the family. Yeah. It would be a good decision to stay the course when it gets hard, to not abandon ship on the idea when it when it gets a little challenging. I mean, truthfully. Like another way I've heard it explained is um Leverage costs money, right? We, sure. We, we've talked about leverage at, ad nauseum on this podcast, but leverage is, you know, either it always costs money because it, you either leverage technology, which costs money, you leverage money, which is is money, and is then money. You, and then you you lever or you leverage people, which costs money. Sure. So you know, I, one of the lessons that was taught to me and illustrated very eloquently, and I probably won't do it do it justice here, is that I was asked the question once because I always I always fall back into the same trap, right? Everything like I revisit efficiency, I revisit process, I revisit tactics, and those things, or, or I leverage, and I always get more because of the improvements that I've made. And then it's 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 the endless loop again, right? So I end up making more money, which is fantastic. But at some point, there's enough money. So it was it was it was very eloquently described to me that Jay, think about a startup company, think about. Think about a Zillow. Think about a Facebook. Think about think about any of these tech startups. How do they how do they get started? Well, these companies really have no value because it's an idea in the beginning, right? And they end up with some collateral and all that stuff. But how they grow is they get venture capital investment based on belief and faith, right? In ideas, and they turn zero profits. Like they don't even make revenue. They give stuff away for a period of time, such that and then they try to make the jump. From non-revenue generating to revenue generating at a loss, and then they ultimately turn profitable. And, and, it, and the thought is this. Now, that's not realistic for someone like myself operating a business and have, that has a family to feed and you know, bills to pay. Right. But it can, be, it can be compared in such that, Jay, how much does it cost for you to live your life? X. How much does it cost to run your business? Y. How much money do you have left over at the end? Z. Based on what you make right now? Based on what I make right now, and I have Z left over at the end. Okay? And I'm not going to give numbers, but let's just say Z is substantial. It's success. It's profitable. Like, my business is profitable. I'm living within my means. My business is well-supported, and I still have Z left over, and that's substantial. Let's call it a third, a third, a third of a total, right? So I've got a third of the revenue left over at the end. I'm profitable. I'm doing well, and I can, you know, save it for a rainy day. I can, you know, squirrel it away in the stock market. I can buy real estate. I can do whatever. What if, Jay, you took Z and you invested it in your business, all of it? Every bit of it, which is in essence doubling what it costs you to run your business, because I said it was roughly a third, a third, a third, right? Right. And you do it with leverage, you do it with tools, you do it with trainings, you do it with systems, you do it with processes, you add people, right? Mm -hmm. Take your business from a third profitable after your 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 subsistence is taken care of, 
and you make it zero profitable to grow it the way a startup does. Even though you're not anywhere near a startup. Yeah. Even though I'm not near, near a startup, but you think of, think of yourself like a startup because you're trying, could you build a business? What could you do in a short period of time having that much invested? What could you do? I mean, and then look at the results. What did Facebook do? Yeah. Okay, now I know I'm not Facebook. Sure, but if you went into growth mode and doubled your spending Doubled your business. Cost. What, what if the team, instead of having you know two or three staff people, had six? How many more agents could I recruit if I doubled all the budgets, if I doubled the lead volume? You know, how many homes would I personally have to sell if I could create the system? So I was willing to spend double what it costs now. Now, now you think that doesn't take courage, Gabe? No, I mean, that's a, a, taking all of your profits and going to zero. And go to zero. For who knows how long. For Does who it knows take how, six months to be profitable? Who knows, if it ever wor- who knows if it ever works. Oh, yeah. Okay. And um, how do you scale back if it didn't work once you've hired people? Vine, for example. Oh, okay, like the short videos. Vine. Yeah. I mean, they pretty much got decimated by Instagram, right? Yeah. Like, you know. And Man, now, it was good while it lasted. And say, you know, <laughs> it's, it's what Instagram and Facebook are trying to do, Snapchat, right now. Sure. Okay. Like, who knows if it's going to pay off? Like, you don't know. But what kind of business could you build? And if you come out clean on the other side, what does that look like? Yeah. It's pretty exciting stuff, man. But it all speaks to time management because you've got to be willing to know what you want what you're prepared to sacrifice for it and what you're not prepared to sacrifice because then and only then can you really determine the value of your time. Interesting. So when we talk about, you know, doubling up the things that you're doing in your business, the people that are listening that are already feeling swamped in the 33% of their business they're doing now might be really scared by that idea. But are we talking about investing more of your time or like you said, leveraging out to other people, the responsibilities you would have to take on if you doubled There's up? There's no magic pill, Gabe. There's a couple of things that can be done. And if, if you're not willing to do any of them, then you're staying, you're going to stay exactly where you are. Okay. Okay. There's literally, I mean, invest more money, stop working as much, accept less profit or work harder and sacrifice other things. Like, I mean, like it, there, there's only a handful of things that can be done. This is no, like, honestly, I feel embarrassed to presume that I'm qualified to sit here and talk about this. It's so simple. Sure. Like literally anyone can understand these concepts. Like if I invest more in my business, I make less money. Really? Oh, that, that, that's awesome logic. Like, <laughs> like I'm profound for being able to sit here and say this to you. Yeah. It's so simple. Like why people can't wrap their head around this is beyond me. Well, the, the biggest thing that I find interesting is that just in the course of this conversation, we've come to the same outcome totally opposite ways. We talked about cutting back what you're doing and deciding when enough is enough and that creating more time for you. And now we've talked about doing the exact opposite, doubling your business, committing even more and going above and beyond and how that can give you the same result, which I find interesting. There's literally no rules. There's only concepts to grasp. And it's like you said, if you stay put, don't expect your, your time situation to change. <laughs> what, do, what do I say when I'm frustrated with the team? What do, what do I talk about? Go, you tell me. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you take it away. I say, I could get rid of all of this and just do it myself. Sure. And I could hire a bunch of salaried assistants and just do it my way. Yep. Right? I and could. you've been there before. I could do that. Actually, I've never done it that way. Not entirely Not really. that way, but when it was real small scale. I mean, the, the, the point is, Gabe, is I can get time by being more efficient. That's what we're here to talk about is time management. I can find more time by being more efficient. Okay. 
that, but that's going to find, you're going to find yourself in an endless loop there. And ultimately you're going to have to make a decision that, uh, do when, when is it enough? That decision gets made for, everyone makes that decision at some point. Yeah. And if you don't make it, you're in the endless loop. So, so, I can be more efficient and gain more time. I can spend money and gain more time. I can hire more people, which costs more money. And what happens with improvements? Six, more success. Right. So even if I even if I go back to our example about investing all of your profits back into your business, what do you think the end result is of that? I mean, your business will exponentially your business grow. Business will exponentially grow and success follows. And what does that put you in? That endless loop again. Yeah. And still, even then, you're going to have to decide when is enough. Well, enough. and they call it time management for a reason. There's never a way that you just fix it and all, all your time is back. It's You're continually managing it. There's, it's like fashion, brother. It's <laughs> never finished. True. I know you all think that I, me using that saying is hilarious, but it's so true. I wonder how closely you follow fashion. You know, it's, I don't really. I, my, my wife watches a whole lot of Project Runway. but I don't know if that counts. but I don't think that counts. Anyways. I don't really follow fashion that much. Um, I respect it as an art form and, and you could just as easily say any art has never finished. Sure. I mean, like, I guess when the artist dies, like it's finished, like, it's kind of morbid, but like, frankly, like an artist never sees something as a finished product. And that's what I mean here Yeah, is your time management will never be finished. Like I am constantly tweaking, like you've seen my time block calendar and it's like all the rainbow of colors and every oh, yeah. minute of the day is accounted for. And well, right there, that's where I want to take a right turn before we finish up today, because you summed it up perfectly. It's never finished, and you're always going to have to manage it. So what is something you can do right away to manage it better? I think everybody that's listening to this podcast uh, is familiar with time blocking, this concept of time blocking. They've probably read about it in a book, or they've read about it online. Uh, but, I mean, it's something that we talk about a lot because it works. And, yeah. uh, and we talked about it in the beginning. It's scary at first to start off at the very beginning of your day or at the beginning of your week even and say, from this time to this time, I'm going to do this thing and not anything else, even if it wants my attention at that time. Yeah. And it's like we said at the beginning, that can be a scary thing for someone to regulate themselves that way. But when you know exactly how your time is going to be spent, you're more productive and you get more of the things that you want. And it's way easier, like you said, to predict your outcomes, predict your income, predict all of the different things that matter in your business. So, I mean, what, what is time blocking done for you and, and why is it stuck? Do you think I, I time blocking allows me more than anything to know and recognize what I should be doing. Now, I'm not perfect, right? I, I get pulled off task. And for me, I, I've kind of utilized this term often and you've heard me say it, this appropriate flexibility, and how do you define that? Well, it's hard for some. It's hard for some to hear that because they well, they want a definition. Like my type A's out there want want me to define how flexible means. is the right flexibility. Well, how how flexible is appropriate? You know, in this situation, I think you have to decide. Well, I tell you what decides for me is like in my gut, in my intuition, you know, in my in my you know inner workings, the way my self talk. I know. Like you ever fed somebody a line of BS and you kind of knew you were doing it? Yeah. And, and inside you fed you yourself know. a line of BS. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. Um, when you talk yourself out of your intuition, I, I, I don't argue with my inner voice. I recognize it. Time blocking for me is not 
so hard and fast. And that's probably why it's stuck to answer your question. Why mm-hmm. it's stuck for me is I don't beat myself up for making mistakes. I don't beat myself up for being human. I recognize simply when I'm off to- when I'm off task. Yeah. And to me, that's what time blocking is. It's not this come hell or high water. I'm going to be prospecting from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. on and the dot. And shut my mind to everything else. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think you should limit distraction. And I've certainly taken measures like on my phone, there are no red dots. You don't do push notifications? I don't. I, well, I have some push notifications in some apps, but like there's no red dots. Like my email and text, no red dots. I, I Because what happens? You, you see the dot. Facebook, the- no red dots. None. It's a good uh, call. Facebook is on the third page of apps. Hmm. Facebook and Instagram. All social media is on the third page of apps. Mine's, mine's on the I first page. I have to swipe <laughs> left twice to get to social media. Yeah. And I'll still do it, like, well, subconsciously. Sure. But I, I eliminate distraction. I don't get buzzes. I don't get dings. I don't get, you know, any of that stuff. Um, because I think you should limit distraction. But, you know, ultimately, it's a recognition thing. Like, when you're when you're – when you're motivated to be a certain way and to do a certain thing, like you just need support. You just need, you know, reinforcement of the ideas that you already prescribed to Gabe. Like, like you're not going to convince me to time block if I think it's stupid. Well, and one of the things people miss a lot with time blocking is, you know, they're okay. I'm going to start time blocking. So I need this time for prospecting this time for showings, this time for negotiating. And a lot of people forget. uh, And this goes perfectly back to the agent that you were talking to yesterday that one of the most important things to time block is your time with your family and your time to yeah. relax and to decompress. Those things are just as important, if not more important. You remember when we talked to Cliff. Cliff said that that's the first thing that goes in his calendar is the time he's going to spend with his family, and then he schedules everything else around that. There's nothing wrong, and I think it's maybe crucial to time block that stuff too. You have to. Uh, uh, there's a concept that I've read about that I really like, and it's called guilt-free leisure, right? And it's this idea that instead of spreading out a bunch of moments in your day where you're scrolling through Facebook when you know you should be doing something else and and you just want to sit back and take a minute and like eat eat your Wendy's in your car because you just need to take a break instead of taking moments that you're not actually relaxed or actually calm you know and you think that you're relaxing but really you're just delaying you know all of the pain that you're feeling throughout the day you save it all for a moment when you have accomplished the things you want to accomplish your responsibilities for the day have been satisfied and then you take guilt-free leisure time where if you don't want to do anything, don't do anything. If you want to take a nap, take a nap. If you want to you sit and read a book, read a book because everything else that needs to be done is done. And you scheduled this time to actually relax. And it's way more valuable than twice as much time spread out throughout your day. No, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think you can recapture hours easily in minutes. You don't realize you spend. Sure. And you know, that's part of the reason why I get rid of the dings and the bells and the and the vibrations and all that stuff yeah. because I, and I'm not really not going into this, but like I, I happened to see, uh, on television, I think it was a maybe 60 minutes or something like not too long ago where they had Anderson Cooper. Um, and they, they brought him in to give him like some sort of experiment. They, he knew he was being a watch, but he, he's sitting at a computer taking a test. It's complete nonsense stuff that had nothing to do with the actual, um, the actual assessment. Okay. But they took his cell phone and they sat it on a table. That sounds 10, awful. <laughs> 10 feet away, only 10 feet. 
uh, hard surface table, and then they started peppering his phones with text messages. Yeah. And they, they had him on like an EKG, and like his, I'm serious, dude, like his heart rate. Like was it spiked like crazy? No, I every time it. his text message buzzer went off, he had internal struggle and anxiety, as represented by like his heart rate and his perspiration. Like and then he sat there for like twenty minutes, and they like peppered him. I think we can all relate to dude. And it's like that's what happens. You have to eliminate some of that stuff. And as long as we're talking about time blocking, you might as well talk about this and time management. But going back to time blocking, you can create stress and anxiety. By creating too rigid of a schedule. Sure. By overbooking yourself. I think you have to be realistic about what you can accomplish within your time blocks and then allow yourself the appropriate amount of flexibility as, as you know, uh, evaluated by your gut feeling. Okay. Allow yourself the opportunity to complete the task before you move on to the next time block and just recognize somehow for yourself. For me, I have two calendars. I have a time block calendar that's color coded that underlays my actual calendar. And so when, and and I color code my appointments and this may sound supremely anal retentive and I'm sorry for that. Some people are this way. But it works for me. Anything that's one of those dollar productive activities that we talked about earlier is green on my calendar for money. Makes sense. Okay. And so, and any appointment that gets set, right, goes green. My time blocks are green. If green on green means you're doing it right. I'm doing the right thing. Interesting. If, I like this. If green on red or red on green, I'm out I'm out of sequence. And it's nothing, it's not like I don't beat myself up about it. Okay? And I may not even change my activity in that moment. Yeah. Uh because But some, it lets you be honest with yourself. It lets me be honest with myself. I don't I don't feed myself a line. Yeah, you know exactly where you're at in your ongoing struggle to manage your time perfectly for me the visual component works Mm -hmm. when i and and i don't have every minute of every day accounted for now at one time i did and i found that it created more stress sure okay so there are there are there's appropriate flexibility in the scheduling and there's appropriate downtime and i absolutely positively schedule all family time first all family time i think it's the safest way to make sure that it stays in your calendar you know dude we talked about a lot today yeah we did um but I think this was good. I, I think, I think our listeners are probably a broad mix of both those striving for success and those there and trying to manage it and striving for balance, maybe and striving for balance. Yeah. So strive for success or strive for balance. And those of you that are striving for success, be mindful of this because when you, when you get what you want, be sure you really wanted it and know how to manage it. Okay. Don't let success look like something that creates more problems for you. Yeah. And so, uh, with that, man, I guess, I guess it'll be till next time. But one, one quick thing I do want to say again, before you guys, uh, before we go, uh, really appreciate all the feedback we've gotten. A lot of folks, um, that have signed up to receive our buyer guide that we've been sending out to our qualified subscribers here at resource. And, uh, we're working on, we'll be sending out what is it? Episode, It'll be the third one this time. Episode three, or not episode three, <laughs> uh, section three of our buyer guide. And this right. is something you guys are welcome to just completely rip off and duplicate. We call that R&D. Yeah. <laughs> not research and development, rip off and duplicate. Uh, <laughs> we're happy to contribute to the thievery of the real estate industry. But no, seriously, um, this is what we do. This is how we present. Um, you know, one of our new ISAs, Bobby, set two buyer consults last night. 
And our agents are going to be sitting down with this very book and reviewing the buying process. And I think it illustrates step-by-step the, the, the six phases of the buying process. So, uh, we really appreciate it again, those who have signed up. If you haven't signed up, go to resourcepodcast.net. There is a sign up. Feel free to register and we'll get the past two sections out to you and then you'll get the the following four in the coming weeks. But uh, again, a lot of support, man. Yeah, I've, definitely. I've been, I've been really happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and remember, if you go to resourcepodcast.net, there is a sign-up page like Jay mentioned. Just feel free to hit us there. Uh, and if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you make sure you're not missing any of our next episodes. And write a review. Oh, yeah. Write a review while you're at it. Five stars only. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. I, I can ask for that, right? I think it's okay. Hey, you know... Why would you do anything unless you wanted a How do you feel review? when someone writes you a four-star review on Zillow? How feel, do you feel? I feel a little... I, feel I would rather have zero. I feel <laughs> unfulfilled. I would rather you not write a review for me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I truly... I, I'm all about the reviews. I don't want honest reviews. I just think I give five-star service. Yeah. I think this is a five-star podcast. If it's not going to be five stars, just email us and tell us what we need to do better. Don't, tell, don't tell review until, you, <laughs> until it's a five-star. Call me and tell me why I'm terrible. <laughs> and then let me try to be better. Like, you know, no, I seriously, honest reviews are appreciated. Yeah. Uh, we say this in jest. We just think we're a five-star podcast. I think I'm a five-star realtor. Man. I mean, I, I don't know. That's maybe that's ego driven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, leave us a review, uh, subscribe on the website. Uh, we, we love your all's feedback and we really appreciate the support. Absolutely. Thanks everybody. This has been resource real talk about real estate. We'll be back next time. Stay tuned.